Good morning. We are into this series, May We Be Holy. And really, it's a focus on the passage in Leviticus 11.44, where, where God says, and then he says it again, 1 Peter 1, verse 6, Be holy, for I am holy. Wow, that's a pretty tall order. Be holy, for I am holy. God is holy, we know that. We've, we've just been singing about God is holy. Of course, God is holy, we know that. But us, you and me, do we measure up? Be holy, for I am holy. Listen, if someone comes to you and says that they comprehend the holiness of God, you run away from that person because they don't have a clue. And I am here to confess to you, even though we're preaching this week, next week, on the holiness of God, I don't have a clue. I do not comprehend the holiness of God. Because I don't think we understand how big and vast and majestic and everlasting and unchanging our holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty is. And I think as, as good as I may attempt to be this morning and next week, I'm not, I'm not even going to scratch the surface. And you need to understand, I'm not even going to be able to scratch the surface of, of how big and mighty and majestic and everlasting and unchanging and holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So we got this week, next week. Well, and then, and then the week after that, the, when I'm gone, Pastor John, what's going to happen when I'm on sabbatical? Pastor John, Pastor Tyler, Pastor Amanda are going to be filling in for the preaching. And so, and they're going to be doing a series on the Lord's Prayer. And Pastor Tyler will be preaching in two weeks. The first section of the Lord's Prayer, uh, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So holy is your name. So whatever I say this week, next week, Pastor Tyler is going to correct it in three weeks. And so, so you'll be all right. Where do we begin? Be holy, for I am holy. Here's our trouble, I think. We are so accustomed, and we just came through Christmas season, we're so accustomed to talking about God with us. And praise the Lord, God is with us, right? God is with us. God became flesh. God pitched his fleshly tent among us. God moved into the neighborhood. All those passages from from John chapter one, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. God is with us, Emmanuel. God is with us. And we become accustomed to that language. And, And we become accustomed to the language of God in us. Praise the Lord, I got the joy, 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 joy down on my heart. God is in us. God is with us. God is in us. but we don't want to lose sight of God is above us. Does that make sense? We don't want to lose sight of the loftiness, the majesty of God above us. There is no other God but God alone. God is above us. You see, when we, for, when we lose sight of that, when we lose sight that God is above us, when we focus only on that God is with us, God is in us, praise the Lord, praise the Lord for that. Don't, don't hear me, don't want to be a heretic. God is with us, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, I love it. But when we lose sight of the holiness and the loftiness and the majesty of God and we reduce God to simply God is with us, God is in us, then we're in danger of creating a God in our own image. God is is just like me. Well, God is not just like me. God is holy. God is majestic. God is lofty. God is great and unchanging and unfathomable. God is above us. Throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, the Bible repeatedly says that God is above us. Uh, 
Psalm 57, 5, just one example. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 95, 3. For the Lord is, gr- the, Lord is the great God, the King above all gods. The author of Hebrews put it this way. In the beginning, the Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. Our God is big and majestic and unchanging and unfathomable and everlasting. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Maybe Isaiah scratches the surface as good as anyone in scripture. And, and he, he, he said this. He said, he's, we're speaking of God Almighty. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. God is big and majestic and unchanging and unfathomable and everlasting. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah, maybe, my, maybe Isaiah sees it this way as this big, huge, everlasting God because of that vision that he had of God in Isaiah 6. Remember, usually we read that scripture in a missionary service, you know, who will I go, who will I send, and here I am, send me, that passage. But before we get there, before we get to here I am, send me, Isaiah has this vision of the throne room of God. And he says, he says this in Isaiah chapter 6. Let me flip back to Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted and seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they called out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King of the Lord Almighty. Here's my problem. I, I think we have built a sense of familiarity with the God who is above. We, we, we talk and don't hear me. I, have, I love it, love it. Praise the Lord. God is with us. God is in us. But, but that has produced a familiarity so much that we've lost that God is above us. And we've lost the sense of wonder and majesty that Isaiah is describing in Isaiah 6. The, the, the majesty that, that, that brings with, along with it a sense of humility when we're in the presence of God Almighty that says, like Isaiah, woe is me, I'm in trouble. Because this God who says, says, be holy for I am holy. And when I get truly in his presence, I say, wait a minute, we're, there's a vast difference. Woe is me. And we've lost the big, unchanging, everlasting, holy, holy, holy God Almighty. We're in danger of the other-like commonplace. And we slap our proverbial hand against God Almighty. And we've lost the be holy for I am holy. What are we talking about? Well, well, we know being holy means set apart. 
right? We are, in, in, in reference to us, we are set apart, set apart for God's use, like the instruments in the tabernacle, like the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant itself. We are set apart for God's use. That's what being holy means. In, in response to God being holy, that means he's set apart, set apart from what? Set apart from the horror, set apart from the, from the, from the corruption of sin, God is holy. It's an absolute holiness. There are no degrees to his holiness. He is completely, totally, fully holy. There is no place that God is less holy than where he is. That's what makes, honestly, that's what makes what happened on the cross all the more uh, uh, powerful. That this holy, holy, holy God Almighty took on all the, the one who has absolutely nothing to do with sin and is completely separated from sin, takes on all the sin of the world. The book of Leviticus, where, where originally the, those words are, Leviticus eleven forty four. the whole book uses the word holiness more than any other book in the Bible. And it talks about things like, uh, as it relates, uh, written for the Levites, Leviticus, giving the, the holy rule book, if you will, and it, and it talks about how this holiness and the holiness of God is so majestic and so real and so all-encompassing that it involves every aspect of our everyday life. And so if you read the book of Leviticus, you read you know, things about, about food and preparation and relationships and everything about life and it gets to the minutia and you think, oh my land, it's getting to such, such intricate detail. We don't need all that detail. Some of it is kind of gross. We don't need all that detail. And the, and the point is that every aspect of our life should be impacted by the holiness of God. Paul is getting to that in Romans chapter 12 when he said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He's saying every aspect of your life. We're going to get more into that next week, but every aspect of our life, we should be living in this concept of, of God saying, Be holy, for I am holy. See, when you get a glimpse of God's holiness, that's what we're trying to do this week, just get a glimpse of God's holiness, then our pursuit, our hungering after holiness, it might reflect him. Now again, God didn't say, be holy as I am holy. He didn't say that. He said, be holy because I'm holy, because be holy for I am holy. God doesn't, God doesn't expect us to be God. Well, there's two things I know about God. There is a God, and it's not me. I, I got that down. And I'm getting, next week, we're, we're going to tackle that more. But what do we know in our finite minds? What do we know? As a result of God's holiness, is a, as a result of God's absolute holiness, God, who loves us, also hates sin with a deep, deep hatred of sin. Proverbs chapter 6, very familiar passage. There are six things the Lord hates. We always, we like to talk about God's love. Six things that God hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed, innocent blood, a heart that defies his wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. There are some people that need to read that. God hates sin, does not 
does not tolerate sin. Again, we love talking about God's great love. Of course, God's great love. But God's holiness has produced a great, great hatred of sin. Paul gives us a list as well in Galatians chapter 5. A, a list of sins. The acts of the, he calls it the acts of the flesh. He doesn't call it sin. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warned you as I did before, said Paul, that those who live like this, I warned you as I did before, those that live like this, God will just wink, wink, wink. Oh, I understand. Those who live like this, oh, it's okay, you're okay, I'm okay. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what it says right there. God hates sin. Most people I know hate sin too. I, I, you know, most, most people hate sin. You know, the only ones who don't hate sin, I guess, would be sociopaths, psychopaths. I don't know too many of those, you know. Even, even Buckeye fans, they're not in that category. Um, I get it. Most of it, we may have a different definition of sin. You know, your definition of sin might be different from my definition of sin, but most people, most people I know, hate the results of sin. They hate the brokenness that sin produces. They hate the lies. They hate the destruction. They hate the death. They hate the, they hate the, 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 the terror. They hate all those things. They hate the results of sin. Most people I know hate that. God hates sin too. But God hates not just the results of sin, not just the aftermath of sin. God hates the before, the dur- during, and after of sin. That's where, that's where God's hatred is. You know, Satan, our great enemy, he loves to whisper in our ears, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, it's okay. Oh, everybody else is doing it. Oh, no, one, no, no one's going to get hurt. It's just you. He's got, a, he's got a mountain of lies. And sometimes his appeal to sin is so appealing. God hates sin. And I think we have lost sight when we wink at sin, when we, when we butt, you know, brush it away, we've lost sight of the horror and the brokenness and the destructive effects of sinfulness. Can I tell you what I've observed this is just for what I've observed, pastor observed for 31 years. And maybe, maybe, maybe you'll end up after I get, you'll say, well, this is just a pastor that needs to go on sabbatical and he's been pastoring for 31 years and his hair is getting gray and he's kind of cranky. It's just like, kids, get off my lawn. I hope that's not what this is. But I think, I'm afraid we, we Christians, we who've been around, we try to get as close to the line as we possibly can get and still be Okay. You know, how, how, much, how much flirting in the office is okay? How much can I cheat on my taxes and still be okay? How, how long can I linger on that, on that picture of that half-nude woman and still be okay? When I was a youth pastor, that was the big question, right? You know, pastor, how, how, how far can I go with my girlfriend? First base okay, second base okay, how far can I go? How can, I don't want to go to the bad place. How far can I go and still be okay? Where's the line? I need to know the line so that I can get as close to the line as I possibly can get and still be okay. Wrong question. We do not need to know where the line is so we can get as close to the line. We need to know where the line is so we can get as close to Jesus as we can get. That's where we need to be. Be holy for I am holy is not saying I want to be as close to the sinful line as I possibly can be. Be holy as I am holy means I want to be as close to Jesus as I could possibly be. 
And our culture has lost a sense of holiness. We love talking about God with us and in us. And of course, praise the Lord, God is with us and in us. But we've forgotten that God is above us. The big, majestic, everlasting, holy, holy, holy God Almighty who wants nothing, nothing, nothing to do with sin. I'm reading, part of the the thing that I'm going to do when I'm on sabbatical is read all the sermons that I can get my hands on of a guy named Paul Reese. Paul Reese was probably the greatest preacher I ever heard. I heard him preach when he was well into his 80s. He had pastored for several years. He became vice president of World Vision. He was very involved in the civil rights movement. Today is Martin Luther King Sunday, and he was very involved even with Martin Luther King during the 60s. He wrote, he was the editor of the World Vision magazine in the 60s and 70s. And Paul Reese has uh, some Nazarene connections. His father, Seth Reese, was an early Nazarene, friend of Phineas F. Brzee, the founder of the Church of the Nazarene. There's a long and ugly story related to that. And he ended up leaving the Church of the Nazarene, started the Pilgrim Holiness Church, actually. Paul Reese, anyway, was a great preacher. So I'm reading one of his sermons this week. And, And in the sermon, written in 1960, so 62 years ago, he quotes a statistic. And I don't know where he got this statistic from, Um, but he quotes it. And so the statistic had to come from the 1950s because he's writing this in 1960. And he was very upset by this statistic. He thought it was horrible. Here it is, are you ready? He said, and again, I don't know where he got it from. He said, 99% of Americans, and he's upset about this, 99% of Americans believe that God exists. He was upset that 1% didn't. And then he went on to say, but they don't act like God exists. That was his, his real point, that they don't understand the holiness of God. Well, that got me thinking, well, I wonder what the percentage is today. And so there's a Gallup poll in 2019, pre-COVID 2019, that said 68% of Americans believe that God exists now. 32% don't. And I got thinking about that, well, 68% do. And of that 68%, You know, some have lost the majestic, the all-encompassing, the everlasting, holy, holy, holy God Almighty. Some in that 68% view God as, you know, Santa Claus. He exists, but he's kind of like Santa, asking thou shall receive. Some in that 68% think God is just like a giant teddy bear, you know, lovey-dovey-dovey. Some in that 68% think he's kind of like a grandma, you know, oh, you can do no wrong. And we've lost the holiness that God is above us. Yes, I'm so thankful God is with us in us. Don't hear me saying otherwise. But we, we've lost that Isaiah-type experience. Woe is me in the presence of God Almighty. Does that make sense? That's where, where, where Paul Reese is coming to. We've, we've lost... We've, I... I, I I read this quote. I've read this before to us. I put it on Facebook yesterday. It's from a theologian named, named uh, Don Carson, D.A. Carson. He was a professor at, at uh, Trinity Evangelical Seminary in, in Chicago. And every couple of years I give it to you because I think it's important for us to hear. And so I'm going to give it to you again because this is his take on how this holiness and this whole idea of holiness affects us today. He wrote this several years ago, but it still, it still applies. People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, 
And I think the emphasis needs to be on grace-driven. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of, of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. I think that's really true. I think that's exactly what's happening in our culture. We, we have lost the sense of majesty and holiness. That God's holiness is tied to his great abhorrence towards sin. His great immense love for us, but his abhorrence towards sin. It's, it, we look to Jesus, right? And Jesus was clear. Remember, remember the story in John 8 where, where Jesus is, is the, the woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus. And that's the story where they're already, you know, it's a mob of men and they're ready to stone her. And, and Jesus says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And, you know, plop, 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 plop. They all drop their stones, walk away. Jesus looks up, you know, where are your accusers? They're gone. And then Jesus says this. Go now to this woman. Go now. Go now and leave your life of sin. Not go now, oh, they were sinful, you're sinful, we're sinful, it's okay. Not that. It's not wink, wink, wink at sin. No, go now and leave your life of sin. That's what Jesus is talking about. There's a holiness at at, at work here. And Jesus talked a lot about judgment day. It's Matthew 25 stuff, right? Sheep and goats being separated. It's some bridesmaids ready, some bridesmaids not. It's it's some who've, who've buried their treasure in the ground and some who've used their treasure. And what happens when the master returns? What happens when the bridegroom comes? What happens when the, when the judge is separating those sheep and goats on that great judgment day? And, and it all boils down to be holy. Have you been holy? Are you ready? This week, we're just trying to get a scratch, just a scratch on the holiness of God. The majestic, unchangeable, everlasting, holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. I'm not trying to induce a guilt trip. There's a, there's a standard I could never live to. That's not what this is about. This is not, you know, uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God, Jonathan Edwards kind of thing. No, no, no. What I'm saying is we need to have a, a healthy fear of God. Not an unhealthy fear of God, but a healthy fear of God. It's understanding who God is and who we are in relation to him. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other places, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the, is the fountain of life. Psalm 33, 8 says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. Yes, God is in us. Yes, God is with us. But God is also above us. And he calls us to be holy. How does this play out in real life? In Acts chapter 9, right after Saul's conversion, um, you know, there's, Dr. Luke describes what the church was like. And he says this, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, catch this, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. That's my prayer for us. That's exactly my prayer for us. That, what do we need? What do we need in this crazy COVID 
filled world, nutso world. We need peace, don't we? And we need strength. And how are we strengthened? We're strengthened by the power of God. And how does that happen? It's living in the fear of the Lord. God is above us. And, stra- and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, God is in us. And the result is increase. It's those 32% of people who don't even believe that God exists coming to know that, yes, 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 there is a God above us, in us, with us. See, I think we've lost the sense of holiness. The big, majestic, unchanging, everlasting, holy, holy, holy God that calls us to be holy as well. And, and that, when we get a glimpse of that, when we scratch that surface, it should produce in us a sense of humility like Isaiah. Oh, woe is me, I'm in trouble. It should produce in us a healthy fear. I need to be as close to Jesus as I can possibly be. It should draw us closer to him, and it's a recognition. None of us have made it. None of us has arrived. None of us has crossed the finish line. It's, it's Paul's words in Philippians 3. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's what we're talking about. It's pressing on to be holy. It's getting as close to Jesus as we can possibly be. It's recognizing that God is above us, majestic, everlasting, forever and ever and ever, and calls us to be holy as well. The author of Hebrews, he understood how serious God was in this. And he said this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Live at peace and be holy. Without it, we're in trouble. No one will see the Lord.